think that it goes without saying that everyone wants the church to grow. Uh, we want to see the church grow locally, and we want to see the church grow universally. We want to see the church growing. For us here at College View, that, in, that puts us into certain areas of activity that we pursue. We, we do uh, local evangelism. Uh, for instance, just this year, uh, back in February and March, we uh, different families in the church hosted Bible studies in their homes. We called them neighborhood Bible studies. And we had, on average, six community visitors each week at, at various ones of those community Bible studies. Uh, we had our community Bible study at the Memorial Building in July and uh, had nearly 200 visitors who came uh, to hear gospel truths preached uh, at the memorial building. Uh, we continue to do things to try and get the message out. We do a virtual Bible study every Thursday night. and By the time that that study has been out on the Internet for a few weeks, more than 3,000 people on average have listened to every episode of the virtual Bible study. And a lot of the men of the church here get involved in helping conduct that virtual Bible study. All of those things are in the interest of evangelism. We want to see the gospel preached. We want to see the church grow. Um, we support preachers, as we were mentioning in our Bible study this morning. We, right now, are supporting three gospel preachers, uh, sending out uh, about $1,650 every month to the preaching of the gospel, to Nestor Sanchez in Chile, uh, to Mike Mahler in Sioux City, Iowa, to Ken McDaniel in Springfield, Illinois. And those are places, of course, where uh, the churches are weak and uh, there's, not, there's not much uh, gospel work been done in certain of those areas. And we want to see the gospel go there. We want, to see, we want to see the church grow, not just here locally, although that's certainly very important. We want to see the church grow everywhere, and so we work at that. Now... Having said that about us, and I think it's very true that this is an evangelistic church, having said that about us, we're not alone in that. Uh, the denominations also are inclined in that direction. They want to see growth. They want to see the numbers increasing. And so, uh, for that reason, one of the popular things that you'd find if you went into a so-called Christian bookstore these days is books on church growth. A lot has been said about that. Unfortunately... I think a problem results when lots of people uh, pursue growth as an end in itself. And that's a misguided thing. When people pursue growth in numbers as their top priority, then we see all kinds of things uh, being done. We've often talked about a church in Nashville that has fireworks, indoor fireworks on the 4th of July to try and attract people. Not that long ago, we heard about a church that was conducting a rodeo in their church building in order to bring people in. And then just last week, when we were on the virtual Bible study, one of our listeners sent us a note about a church in the Birmingham, Alabama area that's opened a, a gun range, a firing range on their church property, all in an effort to bring more people in. Um, the idea of it is that a growing church, growing in numbers at least, is viewed as successful that you're successful if you're getting bigger in numbers. And then, of course, the opposite of that would be true, that a church that's diminishing in numbers is not successful, not doing well. That's the way it's viewed by people. We want to talk about church growth this morning. And we want to use as 
uh, the, the subject matter for our analysis. We want to use the church at Jerusalem as the example that we want to pursue regarding church growth. Because I think we can learn some valuable things sort of in contradiction to what the popular ideas are in the world about church growth. Before we get into that study further, we stop here just to say thank you for being present. We're very glad that you're here. Uh, we always look forward to our time together. We're glad for our visitors. Please come back whenever you can. We're just glad to be able to be together on the Lord's Day. We pray that our service will be such as glorifies God and encourages everyone. If you have questions about anything that you see or hear this morning, please let us know. We'd be glad to sit down and study with you about any Bible subject. Let's talk, let's talk about church growth, and let's talk about the church at Jerusalem as a real example. You know, that sometimes the Jerusalem church is referred to as the model church, and certainly in those early days it was. Um, in fact, we could point out the obvious, and that is that there was dramatic growth at Jerusalem in the very early days of Christianity. Just review the Scriptures with me. On the very first day that the gospel was preached, Acts 2, verse 41, says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Notice that very day, the first day that the gospel was preached, 3,000 souls obeyed. Can you imagine having been there to see that outpouring of response to the preaching of the news about Jesus Christ? Really amazing. I, I, it, it just goes beyond anything that we could even imagine. Now, we're excited to see one or two or just a few be baptized. Imagine 3,000 in one day being baptized into Christ. That's rapid growth on the very first day. But it didn't stop. In verse 47 of that same chapter, it says, The Lord added the church daily, such as should be saved. They were having daily additions. It wasn't that they just had one flash in the pan and it was over. It continued. They were growing. On a daily basis, souls were being added. Notice as we get into chapter 4, again, these are still in those same first early days. Uh, not much after Pentecost, it says, Many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. 5,000. So it started with 3,000. We know 3,000 or thereabouts obeyed the gospel on Pentecost. Now, not that much later, the number of the men was 5,000. There's always been some sort of wondering back and forth. Is that the male members, and therefore maybe there would have been at least that many or more female members, and maybe the number was over 10,000? Or is the term men used there in the generic sense, maybe the number, even if it was just 5,000, that's tremendous growth in short order. If it was more than that, even more amazing. Notice in chapter 5, uh, as they kept on growing, chapter 5, verse 14, believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women multitudes were being added. How much is a multitude? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure how much a multitude is, but it's got to be a big number, right? This, this doesn't say, and a handful were added, or uh, a few dozens were added. This says multitudes were being added. The church was growing. It was growing rapidly. In that chapter 6, verse 1, the number of the disciples was multiplied. Now we're not talking about addition, we're talking about multiplication, right? And so now, it's just it's just growing exponentially. The church at Jerusalem, how big is it now? I don't know. But if it's being multiplied, then it still talks about rapid, extreme growth. 
And then chapter 6, verse 7. The Word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. There's that word multiplied again. And it says it was multiplied greatly. It wasn't being multiplied by one or one and a half or two. This was, this was multiplication by a big number. It was being multiplied greatly. And I think very impressive, even a great company of the priests were obedient. Here are the people who had been most uh, powerful and influential uh, in the temple service in Jerusalem. And yet even they were being converted to Christ. So what we have there, six references between chapter 2 and chapter 6, We have six references to the fact that the church at Jerusalem was growing rapidly. That's pretty amazing. Uh, I think you have to agree. If we ever heard of a church like that in the modern day growing like that, it'd be making news headlines for sure. Now, what would account for that rapid growth at Jerusalem? That's what really deserves our attention. And I believe that the rapid growth at Jerusalem can be explained on the basis of three specific things. First of all, the church grew rapidly because of the people they were working with, the people they were teaching, the prospects that they had who were amenable to the gospel, the prospects they had whom they could teach the gospel. I think it would be fair to say that there's no other place in all of history that had that has had so many prospects perfectly prepared to receive the gospel. The prospects there in Jerusalem were amazing. In chapter 2, go back to chapter 2 again. We're going to spend all our time, by the way, right there in the first chapters of Acts. So if you have your Bible open between chapters 2 and chapter 6, we're just going to be going around back and forth through there. But notice in chapter 2, Peter's preaching. Now, this is just before those 3,000 were baptized. Peter's preaching. He says, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Notice, these people, now this was before Pentecost, right? Before Peter was preaching to them here on Pentecost, they had seen the miracles and wonders and signs which Jesus did. The miracles Jesus did were intended for identifying Him, verifying Him to be the only begotten Son of God, verifying Him to be the Messiah that was promised to the, to the Jews all through Old Testament history. And so Jesus did powerful miracles, and they knew it. These people that Peter was preaching to had seen those miracles. They knew of the miraculous work that Jesus had done. Now, these weren't just sleight of hand or uh, some, high, some kind of deceptive tricks that Jesus was playing. He was performing provable, clear, real, verifiable miracles in their presence. And Peter says, you know that. You know that he did that. So these prospects that Peter was preaching to had had seen the miracles. But then something happened. He says, you have taken by wicked hands and have crucified and slain. Now Jesus has been crucified. Now maybe hopes are dashed. They'd been hoping maybe maybe Jesus was... The Messiah. You know, maybe, maybe the promise that God has made to our nation all through our history has, has come to fruition in Jesus. And they've perhaps many of them hoping that, but now instead of him being coronated as king on a throne in Jerusalem, he's been crucified like a common criminal on Calvary. What's happened? Now maybe it's all for nothing. Well, actually, no. 
The movement of Christ was not stopped there because Peter goes on to say, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Jesus resurrected. And so now, again, talking about these prospects to whom Peter was preaching on Pentecost. They'd seen the miracles of Jesus, but even and even though he had been crucified, now he's risen. And now is proof positive that this is the truth of God. So those prospects were in a in a a prime position to be taught the gospel on the uh, there in the early chapters of Acts in the early days of the church. I think it's interesting. Just just maybe stop think about this for a minute. I think it's interesting that the numbers uh, are mentioned for Jerusalem and its growth. You know, we don't know the numbers of any other church in the first century. How many how many Christians were there in Ephesus? What about Philippi? We've been studying about the church at Philippi, and we read, as we've been studying the Philippian epistle. How many were there in Philippi? Uh, how many were in Corinth? You don't know the answer to that, do you? Because the numbers are not given. The numbers are not given as those churches, their growth, how they grew, how many there were. They, but the numbers are mentioned in Jerusalem. You ever wonder why? I think maybe, I'm just speculating here and I'll identify this as speculation. I think maybe the numbers are told to us at Jerusalem for the purposes of confirming the resurrection. If that many people, thousands of people, could be convinced that Jesus was the Son of God right in Jerusalem, right where the crucifixion happened, but right also where the resurrection took place, people there were in a position to know. They, they could prove that. They could verify that. A short walk outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem would have taken them to that empty tomb where Jesus was resurrected. Do you suppose that the numbers and the rapid growth at Jerusalem are identified to us for the purpose of confirming the resurrection? If you could convince people in Jerusalem that the resurrection happened, then it had to be for real. Maybe? I don't know. But at a very minimum, I think you would agree that there were prime prospects right there in Jerusalem. Now, what about us? Do we have prime prospects? Well, not of the same order necessarily. Certainly not the same order. I mean, we don't have people who've seen Jesus work miracles. We don't see. Pe we don't have people who could confirm the resurrection by their own personal hands-on investigation. I want to tell you, I think we've got a lot of prime prospects uh, right here, right now, to share the gospel with. We live in a time when there's freedom. Uh, there's no fear of persecution. We live in a time when people are well-educated, have access to uh, the Bible and so forth. Our, our prospects are prime. They're maybe not exactly the same as the prospects were in Jerusalem, but we have prime prospects, and we need to be using those prospects to preach the gospel, to share the truth. We need to do it. We need to work at that. Uh, as we said earlier, we think that good efforts have been made are, and plans are always for more of that sort of thing. But we all need to be engaged in doing what we can to share the gospel. We have good prospects. like the, Not like, not identical to the prospects at Jerusalem, but we've got good prospects. A second thing that caused the dramatic growth at Jerusalem was the preaching that was done. Now, just earlier, we looked at six statements there between Acts 2 and Acts 6. We looked at six statements 
that talked about the church growing. Half of those statements, three out of the six, are preceded, immediately preceded, by reference to the preaching that was done. So go back with me through that. There's Acts 2.41. Then they that received His Word were baptized. The same day were added to them about 3,000 souls. So the addition of 3,000 souls had come based upon the preaching that they heard. Do you see that there? Emphasis on the preaching and people being added. Then in chapter 4, many of them which heard the Word believed, the number of men was about 5,000. But look just before that. In verse 1, as they spake unto the people, the priest and captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Notice, the Sadducees were grieved because Jesus was being preached and the resurrection of the dead was being preached. But many which heard the word believed it. And the number of men was about 5,000. You see that? Extreme growth linked with the preaching of the gospel, the spreading of the word. Then one more. Chapter 6, verse 1. says, The number of the disciples was multiplied, but notice, just before that, at the right at the end of chapter 5, then it goes immediately into chapter 6. At the end of chapter 5, verse 41, they departed from the presence of the council. This is after they had been beaten, suffering persecution for the cause. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And daily, in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And the number of the disciples was multiplied. So, uh, the, the point that we're making here is that uh, this growth of the church at Jerusalem was based upon what? The preaching of the gospel. It wasn't about fun and games. It wasn't about fireworks or rodeos or gun ranges. It, it wasn't about youth groups and entertainment for the young people. It was about the preaching of the gospel. And that's what we need to do. Even when they began to meet resistance, what did they do? They kept preaching. Even though they were being persecuted for preaching the truth about Jesus, they kept on preaching. Did they water down the message at all? No, they didn't water it down at all. Even when they were beaten, they kept right on preaching. They kept, And as they kept right on preaching, they kept right on growing. You see that? Too often in the religious world today, there's a de-emphasis on preaching the truths that are found in the Word of God. I think if you attended many denominational services this morning, you'd only get passing reference to the Bible. Very little emphasis on what's actually said in the Word of God. I'm afraid that even among some of our own brethren, we see that trend. Less and less emphasis on the Word. Uh, maybe more emphasis on, on the writings of human authors. We can't do that. If we want to see the church grow, look at how they grew at Jerusalem. And interestingly, strong emphasis on preaching the Word connected with them growing. Okay, So they had great prospects. So do we. They preached the Word. That's what we must do. And we must put our emphasis there. So I said there were three things I think contributed to their growth. Their prospects, their preaching, but notice also their practice of religion. We said three, three references about the growth are preceded by the mention of their preaching. The other three, there's six. There's six references to the church at Jerusalem growing. Three involved, connected with the preaching they did. 
The other three is connected with the conduct of the, of the people who were being converted to Christ, the lives that they were living. Let's look at those. Okay, go back. Chapter 2, verse 47. The Lord added the church daily such as should be saved. What's right before that? Anthony read these verses to us earlier. Beginning in verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house that eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Having favor, in other words, these people were living good lives. Having favor with all the people. And the Lord added the church daily should, should be saved. Do you see that? Do you see how their conduct uh, resulted in more people being added? Uh, the loving fellowship of those Christians in, Jerusalem, in the Jerusalem church was impressive to others. Others could see that. They had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I'm going to tell you, that's important for us too. If that's lacking in our, in our relationship, if we don't have that loving fellowship that they had in Jerusalem, then that's going to hinder growth. We need to have that loving relationship in the body of Christ. And we need to show it. It needs to be obvious to others. And again, that's something that can be worked at. We can improve in that. It can be better. So, the conduct, that's what their, their practice of religion was impressive to the people around, and it brought more people in. Look at the next reference, chapter 5, verse 14. Believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. What just preceded that? Well, what just preceded that was the episode of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, so here we had some moral impurity trying to creep into the church, right? But that was handled immediately. In fact, in this case, the Lord exercised the discipline. You remember chapter one, uh, chapter 5, beginning verse 1, a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie unto the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Then just later, then fell Sapphira. When she came in and confirmed the lie, then, then fell Sapphira down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And believers were the more added unto the Lord, both men and women. Multitudes, both of men and women. What we got here? Well, here we again, we've got the conduct, the practice of these early Christians. And again, God was directly involved in this case of discipline, but it was made clear that among these people, immorality and sin is not tolerated, can't be tolerated. Right? A lot of a lot of people in our day say, "Well, no, we just if we deal with those sort of things, it'll drive people away." Well, it didn't seem to drive people away at Jerusalem. In fact, multitudes more were added, even just after that episode with Ananias and Sapphira where there was a problem of immorality that had to be dealt with. Again, their practice, their conduct, their purity of life was being an influence on others. Then one more. Here's the sixth of those six references to the growth of the Jerusalem church. It says, The word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient in faith. What just preceded this reference to their growth? Well, you remember there in chapter 6, there was a problem. It was the problem of the needy widows. 
And beginning verse 1, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples to them and said, and you know how that went on, they, they proposed, let's name seven men to take care of this business. The congregation all agreed, wholeheartedly participated. And so here's a situation where there was potential strife within the congregation. A, a problem, apparently a pretty big problem, could have blown up right here and there. And yet, instead of that, they handled it in a right way. They all joined in, made it right, corrected the issue. And so what we see here is that uh, as they dealt in a loving way uh, with this internal strife in the church, people were impressed. And the growth kept right on coming. What about us? Uh, what happens to us when we face an internal crisis? How we handle that? will say something not only about us and for us, but in regards to the world around. We'll observe that as well. Will we grow based on how we handle that? So, again, three things, I think, contributed to the rapid growth of the church of Jerusalem. Again, emphasizing to you, there's no other church in the New Testament where numbers are spelled out like they are in Jerusalem. We know Jerusalem grew dramatically. They had great prospects, so do we. They preached the truth, so must we. They practice pure religion. That's what we've got to do. If we had imitate the church at Jerusalem, we're going to grow the way God wants us to grow. Now, having said all of that, we have to point out that the church at Jerusalem didn't always grow. Sometimes they diminished dramatically. And we would simply say, finally, even when the church's numbers declined, that was a good thing too. You know where we're going here into chapter 8 of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, beginning verse 1, Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison." Can you imagine that first Sunday morning after this scattering took place? Can you imagine maybe how devastated the people might have felt? Instead of thousands joining together to observe the Lord's Supper, which had been what was going on, right? There were thousands there. And now suddenly there's just a handful left. From thousands to just a handful. Well, what's going on here? Had they done something wrong? And now do we mark this church at Jerusalem off as a failing church because the numbers now have decreased dramatically. Now this, this is a failing church. No. No, what they had done was actually the right thing, right? They had done right. Uh, and, and so from this case of Jerusalem, we would point out that doing right sometimes may lead to a loss of numbers, but it's still the right thing to do. Keep doing right. Uh, you get the idea that God's not measuring success by numbers. God's measuring success by what is right. And actually, as that text in chapter 8 goes on to describe, it says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They actually, the, the kingdom was advanced. What actually happened was the advance of the kingdom as people were scattered from Jerusalem and went everywhere preaching the word. Now, I don't think that the people who were trying to squelch the church, the people who were trying to squash it to, to 
to kill Christianity. I don't think they understood what they were doing. What the people did there in Jerusalem was almost like throwing water on a grease fire. They just scattered it, and it went everywhere. It covered the world. The, the, the gospel prospered, even though the church at Jerusalem lost numbers. And so from that, what would we say? Well, they declined in numbers, but it was actually a good thing. Here's, the, here's our point. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up with this observation. If the loss of numbers in any local congregation is due to indifference in regards to our preaching and practice, and that's a real shame. If a, if a church loses numbers because they're not preaching God's truth effectively, or if a church loses numbers because they're not practicing pure religion as they should, then that's a shame. And a church that's losing numbers for those reasons needs to make some readjustment immediately. But on the other hand, if the loss of numbers is the result of faithfulness in doing God's work His way, then even the loss of numbers or the increase in numbers is all an honor to God. We shouldn't make numbers our primary consideration. We should make our concern doing the will of God. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. I do think that Jerusalem is a is a really worthy example for us, and we can learn a lot from what they did and how things went for them as they were pursuing the will of God. Thanks for your attention to what we've had to say. We're going to end with a song of invitation. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation this morning, if that means you've never yet obeyed the gospel, we would encourage you to do that. A simple gospel plan of salvation is easy to understand. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If you've been studying that and you understand and you know and you want to obey the gospel today, we'd be excited to assist you. If you need more study, say so. We'd be glad to study with you. If you're a Christian already but you've not been faithful to your Lord, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song. I'm